2 Samuel chapter number 23, verse number 11. We're going to read two verses. Who would have ever known so much power could be in two small verses? Let's read it this morning. The Bible says, And after him was Shammah, the son of Agai the Herorite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And so the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field. He defended it, and he killed the Philistines. And so the Lord brought about a great victory. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that it not only inspire us this morning, but it would change us. Father, your word says that it is life and truth, and it is living and active. And this morning, I pray that it would get down within the recesses of our heart and help us to be a better person. May we die to ourselves today and come alive to your purpose. Lord, bless this time and our fellowship together and let this word speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You can be seated this morning in the presence of God. Well, turn around real quick and just tell somebody beside you or behind you a good, good morning this morning. We are so glad that you're here today. Um, listen, if you did not jump in last week, I would highly encourage you to go back and get the podcast, the video, go listen to it, go look at the notes. We started a brand new series last week entitled Courageous, and we've been looking at men and women of God whom God has anointed to take a stand for righteousness and the things of God in the middle of our lives. And so uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to just kind of look down those paths and see exactly what God would speak to us. But this morning, though, I want to talk to you out of this very obscure passage in 2 Samuel chapter 23 from a man that the Bible tells us a little bit about, but very, very minuscule details. His name was Shammah. He was one of David's mighty men, one of David's bodyguards, those who traveled with him and, and pretty much made sure that he was safe. And the Bible tells us that Shammah stood up this morning in the middle of a lentil patch, a pea patch, if you will, and told the devil, you can't have my harvest. This morning, I want to announce my text this morning. I want to preach to you for a few moments from the subject, you can't have my harvest. Would anybody prophetically declare that and repeat that with me this morning? Come on, let's say it together. You can't have my harvest. This morning, I want you to know that we are in a fight. The Bible declares we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I know that's easy to say because you go to work with a boss who doesn't love Christ. You go to school with somebody who doesn't love Jesus. And though we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, it would appear to us that a lot of our problems are masked in flesh. Uh, we go to work with them every day. We see personalities and traits and things. And, and oftentimes the devil uses people to try to get under our skin, to get at us, to get through us, and, and those types of things. But uh, it's, it's important for us to realize, though, that when we're in the middle of this fight, that we're not fighting against people per se, but it's the spiritual wickedness that drives the human heart. And so what we're going to see this morning is that you and I are in a battle. Now, the great thing is, is that this fight is fixed. We are fighting not from a, a, a place of, of offense so, or defense so much to speak, but rather from a place of offense. Because if you read the Bible, the fight is fixed. Church, I want you to know I've read the end of the book several times. 
And the Bible says that we win. But the only time, though, that we don't take ground or to stand in our authority in Christ, the only time that the devil is able to run roughshod over the church and just beat us to a blind pulp is when we don't stand our ground. And I'm afraid that today so many people are just fleeing in the midst of adversity. You know, for years, churches... Uh, especially in the south where I grew up, were were uh, decorated with all types of flowery things, and you walk in and it smelled like uh, potpourri. And you know, I, I thank God for women, but we have emasculated manhood in the church, and we need some shamas in our day who are willing to stand up and guard their families, guard their churches. Come on, guard their homes and say, "Devil, it doesn't matter who else leaves, but not on my watch. You can't have my harvest." Come on, somebody prophetically say it this morning, you can't have my harvest. We need some shamas in our day who are willing to stand up and say, Satan, you cannot intimidate the people of God. Hallelujah. We're in a fight. Some of you right now, you're just a step from throwing in the towel. The Attacks, the assaults have been repetitive. They have been buffeted against you blow after blow. And the adversary has said, why don't you throw in the towel? Why don't you just give up the fight? Why don't you just walk away from it all? In fact, Shama was the only one standing that day. Everyone else had tucked tail and ran. But I'm here to declare to somebody that somebody is getting their second wind this morning. Somebody's taking a fresh breath of the grace of God and the mercy of God today and saying, not on my watch not today, not tomorrow. You can't have my harvest. We're in a fight. Our children are in a fight. Every day when they go to school, they're bombarded by the very lies and doctrines of hell that assault them uh, from every morning, from the first bell that rings, from the last bell that dismisses them to come home. They are bombarded with uh, all types of ideologies and doctrines that are not doctrines of the church. They're not doctrines of the Word of God. They're, they're doctrines that have been formulated on the face of humanism that tell us that self is God and whatever we think is our truth is our truth. And so many people are just running away. Because we live in a day, my friend, where if you stand for something, you risk getting canceled. Well, if I'm a business owner in the community and, 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 and somebody says something anti-God, I can't say anything because I'll lose my clientele. I'll lose my customers. I'll lose my standing. And so I would rather just compromise and stay silent rather than to speak up and have a voice with my position of influence. I'm here to tell you, at the end of the day, the only person standing with you that matters is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let God be true and every man a liar. We've got to be willing to stand up in the middle of this fight. Our kids are being fought. Our marriages are being fought. Our churches are being fought. The enemy is coming in and trying his best to get one over on God's people. And I want to talk to you about 2 Samuel chapter number 23. It's an interesting chapter. Because the first part of this passage records to us the last words of King David in the final moments of his life. 
Somebody have often said that if you want to know the heart of a person, you read their last word. You listen to what did they say in their last moments. The Bible begins to record very poetically the words of David as he is, is getting there and he's declaring the goodness of God. It, he, I'll, I'll read some of these. These are not of your notes, but I'll read them. 2 Samuel 23 verse 1 says, Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke to me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of ages, the rock of Israel rather spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds. Like the tender grass springing out of the earth. By the clear shining after the rain. Although the house is not so with God, yet he has made uh, me with an everlasting covenant. Ordered in all things and secure, for this is my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear. And they will be utterly burned with fire in their place. David began to speak about God and those who would protect not only him but the nation of Israel. And as I told you in our passage this morning, the Bible records three men, three men, not 12, not 24, not 72. The Bible records three men in this passage that were David's closest men. The Bible called them his mighty men. They were his bodyguards. They were his security team. They traveled with him. They made sure that he was taken care of. The Bible goes on to explain the exploits of these men and what they went through and how they handled things. And of these men, the Bible records something about this man named Shama. He didn't fight over some great big piece of military equipment. He wasn't fighting over the men and the women whom the people might come in and try to kidnap, rape, or destroy. Shama didn't even fight over silver and gold. Shama chose to take a stand over some beans. And I want you to know something. Now, I don't believe the significance is of the beans because, you know, it's just a field of beans. For, for those of us, you know, we're not going to stand and risk our lives over some beans. But the significance in Shama's life was so much deeper because it represented some things. It represented their work. It represented their security. It represented their stability. And here's what Shama was trying to tell us. He said, if it's important for us to stand for what God has given us, or else Satan will come and try to take it, we've got to stand for what's right. There's some things that I see in this text. Go back with me and look. 2 Samuel 23, verse 11. And after him was Shama the son of Agai the Herite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was, a piece of ground, there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And so the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and he killed the Philistines. And so the Lord brought about a great victory. If you're taking notes this morning or you're reading along with me, I want to 
tell you the first thing we see in this passage is found in verse number 11. Number one, it was a time. It was a time of intense conflict. Somebody say intense conflict. It was a time of conflict. The Bible is clear that the Philistines came in and attacked the people of God. Now, there's something interesting when you begin to look at this, and I think it tells us specifically when they get there, the people had fled away. That, that let us know that when they came, the enemy came. Watch this. The people were in the field working. It's always strategic for us to understand when does the enemy come. The enemy didn't attack them when they were all out there with their battle axes and they were on their guards and they were on their posts and they were watching. For that would have been an eye-to-eye battle, but how many of you know we serve a cheap shot devil? We, we serve a cheap shot devil. The Bible says that the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to have life and have it more abundantly. The, the, the adversary, he tries to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so he, he fires shots at the people of God in the most inopportune times. Harvest time was a place and a time when everybody had possibly laid down their weapons. They're in the field. They're working. They're doing their very best to gather in and to reap. Not only is harvest time a time of sweat, harvest days are long. Those of you who have field, you work in the harvest, you understand gathering wheat and things, but I want you to imagine what that was like in ancient times. With no John Deere tractor, no bush hog, no things of that nature. It was all nose to the ground and axe to the grindstone. And it was to really just grind out your work. It was a tough time. But even though those days were hard and those days were long, there were days of rejoicing. Because many of the morning, before those beans ever took a sprout, Farmer walked out there in faith every day. One of these days, this seed that I've planted is going to bring a harvest. But you know, you can't dig up a seed every five minutes and see if it's growing. You'll ruin your harvest if you do that. You got to trust the process. You've got to trust that the unseen hand of God in his biological fashion, as he created the seed, the time, and the harvest, you got to trust the fact that while you can't see anything buried beneath that surface, by the atmospheric pressure crushing down on that seed, is causing death to bring forth new life. And while we can't see anything, those stalks are beginning to shoot down below the surface. The roots are being able to spread out, and nutrients are being absorbed from that soil. And one day... That farmer will get up in the morning and it'll burst forth as those sproutlings begin to put forth its leaves and bud. So harvest was a hard time, but it was also a joyful time. Because you knew that one of these days, When we get done bringing in all of these beans, we're going to be able to sit down and have some stew. (laughs) 
we're going to have food in the winter. See, the Bible says that those people who sow in tears, they shall reap in joy. They knew that they were going to be able to participate in the fruits of their labor. But the enemy moved in in the time where they were busy. And I want you to know something this morning. The enemy doesn't attack you when you're stationed on your horse waiting to engage in spiritual battle. He comes when you're at a place of busyness. And I want to tell you this morning that that busyness doesn't always equal badness. Hello. A lot of times we think the enemy just attacks when we're sinning. No, sometimes if the devil can't get us to be bad, he gets us to be busy. And it's in our busyness that we don't realize that the adversary has a, uh, set up an ambush against our own lives. So the Philistines rushed in. In the middle of their busyness. But also, time of their joy. See, Satan doesn't just attack you when you're busy. He also attacks you when you're supposed to be happy. You know, Satan can't stand a joyful Christian. He can't stand a child of God who knows who they are and what they have in Christ. Satan can't stand the surety of the smile on the face of a believer who knows that they serve a God who's the Lord of the harvest. The enemy came in and brought conflict against the people of God. Why? Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Number one, the enemy came in to inflict casualties. Can I tell you something? The devil is not playing with you. Now, he's not omnipresent, but let me tell you something. He's got arsenals of demons that he's put on assignment against your life and against my life and against the body of Christ. And listen, I'm not trying to give all the devil the credit this morning because some people don't need deliverance, they need discipleship. But I am trying to tell you this morning that we do have a real adversary. And he comes at the most inopportune times. And the reason, listen, the reason why he's coming is because he wants to drop your life. Casualties. The devil's future is already prophesied. Some young on fire Christian one day, and I, I applaud their faith, but not understanding prophetic things that are locked and sealed. They asked me the question. They said, Pastor Brad, can the devil ever be saved? The answer is no. He's a fallen spirit being, and his fate is forever sealed. The Bible says that, that Satan and the false prophet were thrown into the fiery, burning lake of fire. He knows his day is coming. There is coming a day where he will no longer be able to tempt. He'll forever be in chains. And listen, my friend, he wants to take every single person that he can with him. And so what does he do? He comes in to steal and to kill. The Bible says our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why did he come? He came to inflict casualties. And he also came to destroy the harvest. That harvest represented Israel's strength. Have you ever seen a soldier 
try to fight that was starving. You need more calories when you're fighting. But he came to do harm and he came to steal the harvest. But what did he find? We know why he came, but why did the enemy come? He came to inflict, he came to destroy. But what did he find when he came? Here's what he found. He found all the people got scared and went home. All the people got scared and went home. Here's what he found. He found no opposition. They just hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. They went home. Unopposed. Can I tell you something that sounds a lot like church, folks? First sign of unrest in a church where there's spiritual battle, physical battle, no matter what happens, people tuck their tails and they run, leaving the vulnerable there for the adversary to come in and devour. Listen, I'm telling you, Satan oftentimes comes against us in these moments. He'll use somebody in the church to start a ruckus. When this happens, listen, 90% of people will just flee away from the scene of the battle. Nobody wants to take a stand. After all, nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings come on I'm telling you it was a time of intense conflict but what else do we see in this passage verse 12 tells us look at it with me it says but he stationed himself in the middle of the field he defended it and he killed the Philistines and so the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Not only, number one, was it a time of intense conflict, but, somebody say but. Number two, it was a time of remarkable courage. There's an old saying that goes something like this. When the going gets tough, help me somebody, the tough gets going. Hard times often reveal the best and the worst in people. Hard times. Deaths in families reveal the best and the worst in people. Don't believe me? So up to a wheel reading. Marital difficulties. Church issues, political things, social situations bring out the best and the worst in people. And so this morning, we can highlight the fact that everybody went and went home. We would have done the story justice because it truly indeed is a fact that really happened. But this morning, I don't want to just simply highlight the fact of all the weaklings who went home and decided to put their head in the sand. This morning, I want to take my attention to one man. Come on, I said one man. You know, really it don't take 12. 
it really just takes one. One person who's willing to stand up. One person who's willing to say, not today. One person who's willing to say, not in my city. One person who's willing to say, you can't have my harvest. It was a time of remarkable courage. The Bible tells us that Shama resolved himself. I love the way verse 12 says that it says, and he stationed himself. I, I can just imagine what kind of man Shama was. See, I was raised in South Arkansas. It's a little bit like Northwest Oklahoma in the fact that there were farmers, people who raised cows, watermelons, they baled hay. Come on, how many of you know that's not easy all the time, following a, a baler and throwing those bales of hay up there? Spent many summers doing that. When I think about Shama, I'm going to use a little bit of creativity this morning. I don't think he was worried about his hair getting messed up. I don't think he was one of those men whose clothes were so tight he couldn't even walk. I don't think he was one of those kind of men who didn't know if he was a man or a woman. I think Shama was a country boy. Shama was probably raised on lentils. Now, they were Jewish, so they didn't eat pork, but they probably fixed it some kind of way. And I can just imagine Shama looking around as everybody's fleeing. He gets up and he pulls his overalls up. He walks out to the edge of the field. The Bible says he stationed himself stood his ground. Shama resolved himself. One of you's dying today, and it ain't me. Shama was a man. But Shama wasn't just a man. You ready? He was a man of God. See, it's one thing to be a man, but it's another thing to be a man of God. And some people think man of God's not supposed to fight. But I'm telling you something right now. I'm a man of God. But if you come in my house at midnight and try to hurt my wife and kids, I'm going to pull the shama on you. I'm telling you right now. I'll introduce you to Jesus so fast and tell you how to meet him in person. Somebody runs up in this church demonically crazed trying to shoot up somebody. There's some shamas in here. We're going to say not today, devil, not tomorrow. You don't even want to try it. But there's resolve and courage. It's easy to have courage when everything goes good in your life. Let me tell you about courage. Courage 
is not developed in the moment of a situation. Courage is developed in the training ground. You know, our military, those great men and women of God who served in combat situations, Vietnam, World War I, World War II, the Cold War, but they, they served in, in, in combat in Afghanistan. They served in combat areas. They had to go through training, drills, waking up early in the morning. Navy SEALs having to swim in sub-below water for so long to, to break their will, to make a determination that I'm going to get through this. And guess what? If you didn't pass, it's not like the public education system. They didn't just push you on through. Only the best of the best got to make it through. That's why these were called David's mighty men. These weren't the grunts. These weren't the people in the military who couldn't make their own bed right. They couldn't lace their own shoes right. These are the ones who went through the training. And our military, what do they do? They make them go through simulation. They make them go through training. They, they fire their firearms. They have to point at targets. They have to hit the target. They've got to do all of those things. Shama wasn't no Barney Fife. He was the real deal Holyfield. Everybody took up and left. And I can just imagine Shama pulling up his bootstraps, saying, I was born for this moment. See, I told you last week you can't kill a dead man. Shama was willing to lay it all on the table that day. And the Bible said he stationed himself. His resolve was that today he would stand and he would fight even if it cost him his life. Why? Same reason American soldiers willing to do it. Because they realize there's some things worth fighting for. Some things worth fighting for. Church, can I tell you this morning, there's some things in your life worth fighting for. Your integrity is worth fighting for. Your kids are worth fighting for. Don't allow your children to just run, run, run amok and go to hell while the adversary has his way with them. You stand up in that pea patch of your house and your family and you say, devil, not today, not my kids. You can't have my harvest. You got to have some courage. You gotta have some resolve about your life. The church is worth fighting for. The kingdom of God is worth fighting for. Here's what Shama understood. He knew without food, the people would perish. He knew that people had to eat, and if they were going to eat, those fields had to be defended. Shama said there's some things that are worth fighting for. And for some of you in this room, it's not beans. What is it? What is it this morning that the enemy has so intimidated you? He's tried to say, I'm going to take everything you have. 
I'm going to take your mind. I'm going to make you go crazy. I'm going to take your life. I'm going to take your marriage. I'm going to take your finances. I'm going to take your job. I'm going to take your position. I'm going to take whatever I can. Who is it this morning? It feels like you're in a fight. This morning, I want you to know something. The same spirit of Shama, there's some things we're fighting for. Make no mistake about it. We've got to take a stand. Can I tell you why we have to take a stand against our beans? Let me tell you why. Years ago, years ago, I was looking at my online bank statement. And I noticed there was a small charge on my debit card to an automotive store in Florida. For one, I don't live in Florida. I lived in South Arkansas. Two, if you know me, uh, you know I didn't buy no parts from no store. My family's full of mechanics. That gene skipped me. I'd rather just pay somebody to do it and bless them. I I don't mess with it too much. But when I went to the bank and I talked to the fraud department, they said, You're glad, we're glad that you caught this. And I said, well, why? why you? And it, it was some stupid, ridiculous thing, like 57 cents. Most people, if you got a, you know, if you, if you only got three bucks in your bank account and you're watching it like a hawk, you, you probably notice 57 cents. But most people are not going to really just notice 57 cents. What they do is they... Your cards become compromised sometimes. Sometimes it's by shopping online and it's not an encrypted website. Sometimes you go to a restaurant and you hand them your card and they take it who knows where. They could take a picture of it with their phone. They could scan the reader. You don't know. Even at the gas pump sometimes. I'm not saying that to incite fear to you. I'm just saying you got to be wise and use wisdom. And the Bible says be diligent to know the state of your flocks. Amen? Got to know what's going on. And so... They can get compromised anywhere. And I said, well, why do you say that I'm glad that I caught it? Here's what they said. They said it's 57 cents today. But in a day or two, it would have been $500. And can me tell you why in northwest Oklahoma, Hispanic culture, why Shama stood up against these Philistines over these beans? You ready? Because if you let the devil have your beans today, he's coming for your whole enchilada tomorrow. And it's the little compromises in our life that allow the spirit of intimidation to come against the church. And the enemy then will come in and say, you know what, I'm taking everything you have. And so Shama said, it might just be uh, beans to everybody else. And everybody else said, it's not worth fighting for. But today, I want to stand my ground. And I'm not letting the adversary have my harvest. Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. To me, this is the most important, mislooked, overlooked part of this passage. Let's read verse 12 again. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field 
and he defended it. And, the, and he killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Number one, it was a time of intense conflict. Number two, it was a time of remarkable courage. But number three, it was a time of glorious triumph. The last part of that verse 12 tells us about the one who really won that battle. You see, Shama might have swung the punch, but it was God who put the force behind it. You see, I'm about to mess some of y'all up this morning, but I can take you through the Bible and show you where God anointed biblical masculinity. The men of the Bible weren't a bunch of sissy men like we have today. David was a shepherd in the fields of Israel, his father's house. To tell you why God elevated David to be the place of a shepherd? See, a lot of people just want the ministry. They want this. They want the microphone. Can I tell you something? Microphones and platforms are not because ministers are better than everybody else. It's to elevate them so everybody can see and hear. What's more important than what you do up here is what you do when nobody's looking. And while all of David's brothers were parading themselves like peacocks in front of the prophet trying to get elevated to the next place of promotion, the Bible says he was faithful in his father's house tending sheep. And here's what the Lord saw when nobody else saw. He saw that when the lion came and took one of the little sheep, David said, I got it, and I slew it with my bare hands. When the bear came and tried to get one of the little lambs, I slew it with my bare hands. Let me tell you something. It was God who anointed David with the strength of a shepherd to slew that bear and that lion. And it's the same God who gave him the strength and the anointing to put on a stone to knock Goliath in the head and to cut his head off. Samson sinned. Yes, he did. The old preacher said he was a he-man with a she-problem. But make no mistake about it. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And he caused him to break into pieces those chains. David said in Psalms, through my God I shall run through a troop. Through my God I shall leap over a wall. God anointed the humanity not just so he could preach, not just so he could pray, not just so he could strum a harp, but so that he could be a protector. He could be a protector. We're supposed to be priests, providers, and protectors. Here's what I want you to know. Shama may have held the sword, but it was God who fought the battle. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. In times of great difficulty and despair, where there's a choice to be made, 
Do I stand up and have courage? Or do I flee and run away? People say, well, I don't want to be left standing by myself. I don't want to be the only one that takes a stand. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Though everyone else may have left, when Shammah stood up, God stood up with him. God stood up with him. And notice the Bible. Listen, this man, his life was just a little boop. On the topography of Israel's history. Just a boop. Greater detail and attention have been given to more minuscule things in the scripture. But yet, the Bible chooses to record that this man named Shammah stood up and fought over his beans. The title of our series this week is Courageous. Because God wants some of you to have some courage. Some of you this week have been, been tired in the fight. Felt like giving up. Felt like rolling over. God, is it even worth this? And I feel like he's telling me to tell you this morning, if you'll just make up your mind to stand up, I'll stand up with you. If you just make up your mind to look that devil in the eye and say, devil, you can't have my children, you can't have my job, you can't have my health, you can't have my marriage, you can't have my, my integrity, you can't have all of those things that pertain unto me because you can't have my harvest. I believe this morning if you make a resolve to stand up, God says, I'll stand up with you. But you've got to be determined. To take the step. It's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. I want everybody to jump up on their feet with me. Some of you are so discouraged. Maybe you've never even told anybody this, but you're just within inches of taking your own life. You said, God, I'm tired of fighting. But you know it's worth fighting for. And you're worth fighting for. God cares about you. He'll fight for you. Some of you are emails away from a divorce lawyer. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Some of you in this room, your kids, you fought with them their whole upbringing. They don't want to seem like they don't want to serve God. And you've even told yourself in your mind, well, they're almost 18. I'm not even going to try. They're worth fighting for. The devil can get you discouraged. He can steal your harvest. But today, if you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to stand up. 
And I'm saying, not today. I'm not taking it anymore. Satan, you're not intimidating me. You're not going to distract me. Today, I'm willing to fight. I want everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. I want to get some prayer team to come across the